Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Encampments, rent evictions, and area rating, oh my. NHL free agency hits a lull. And what's the most amount of money you've ever won while playing the lottery? The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We discussed this topic yesterday with Tom Cooper, the director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction. Many people simply can't afford that extraordinarily high cost of living and uh, they're being forced out and many people are finding themselves in situations of homelessness for the first time in their lives. What are some of the local shelters seeing when it comes to people without homes and the encampment issue? Catherine Kalinowski is the Chief Operating Officer for Good Shepherd Centers and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Catherine, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. Paint a picture for us at what you are seeing at Good Shepherd. Well, I believe what we are seeing is an unprecedented crisis in our community. Uh, At Good Shepherd, we are seeing um, exceptionally high numbers of people accessing our emergency food program. And in our emergency shelters, we are seeing uh, insufficient space to respond to the demand. So all of our shelters are operating at or over capacity virtually every night of the year for an extended period of time now. So what would that total number look like? Uh, we we are talking about well over 400 shelter beds in the city of Hamilton, and that is not responding to the demand for space. Wow. What is the average stay like? How, how, how long are these individuals staying for? Mm. Uh, So depending on individual circumstances, some people come into shelter and stay a relatively brief period of time, a matter of weeks. And that was the norm several years ago and for an extended period of time. Today, we are seeing very long shelter stays, a bottleneck in the system as people come into shelter trying to resolve their housing crisis, but simply unable to find housing. And as a result, we have shelter stays that extend into months. So that is the crux of the issue, is these individuals don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah, um, inadequate social assistance benefits, precarious work, and a housing market that is simply out of reach for many, many, many people has, has, have all contributed to the crisis. How many kids are at the, sh- uh, at the, uh, the, the shelters? Well, this is an interesting uh, fact. We are seeing an unprecedented demand in our family shelter. So for families, including children, who need a place, safe place to stay because they've lost their housing, we're turning people away, families away, 60, 70, 80 times a month because we don't have space to accommodate them. So you can imagine the disruption for children, the fear, uh, disruption of their school, uh, and all of their their normal activities as their family weathers a crisis of this nature. In that scenario, what are their other options? I would assume if they have family or friends, maybe couch surfing, which is not ideal, mm-hmm. but at least they have you know a, a roof over their heads. It, it, interestingly, um, we often talk about how many people are homeless in our community, but the reality is we don't know because many people uh, tap into their their networks and their own resilience and find other ways to survive, at least in the short term, such as staying with family or friends. Uh, In the summertime, we hear about folks, uh, whole families camping to get through the summer. Uh, The reality is they don't find solutions that are longer term. And so while we may sometimes be able to um, uh, 
see a brief respite. They found a place for the short term. It doesn't create a long-term solution. Catherine Kalinowski is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, the Chief Operating Officer at Good Shepherd Centers. We're talking about the encampment issue in the city, the homelessness crisis in this community. Can you give us a, a sense of what these individuals do on a day-to-day basis? Because I think there's a misconception that everyone who's in a shelter has some sort of addiction issue, mental health problem. That That's not the reality, though, right? Uh, certainly it's not the reality. We see all kinds of folks come into shelter, uh, certainly mental health issues, trauma history, uh, substance use can be significant factors in in some people's circumstances, but it's not the whole picture. Um, and people who are struggling with substance use and have mental health uh, issues continue to do what they need to do to try and survive. Um, folks living in shelters spend a tremendous amount of time trying to resolve the issues that they're facing with the assistance of staff. Uh, but these are solutions that are not individually driven for the most part. We're talking about a housing market that is not accessible. We're talking about disconnects in our in our health system. Uh, we're talking about a lack of supportive housing. We're talking about inadequate income. This is not something that an individual or family can resolve on their own. Uh, the city's encampment protocol is going to be uh, finalized, we think, sometime next month. Do you think this is going to help in any regard? Uh, I don't know whether the protocol will help or not. I think the reality we have to accept is that we do not have spaces for people to live. And while I think it's distressing for many to see people sleeping outdoors, we need to wrap our heads around the fact that housing is a human right. And until we create adequate supportive housing for people until we adjust um, income support programs, until we provide people with the kinds of supports they need to be to have sustainable housing and to live stable lives in the community where they can um, uh, reach their own goals and, and live in, in a dignified way, we are going to see encampments protocol or not. Is there any talk of expansion at Good Shepherd, perhaps building or retrofitting a place to add more shelter spaces? Normally, I would say I'd hate to see an expansion in the shelter system simply because shelter is not a home. It should be a temporary and brief intervention. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of discussion in the city about do we need more to create more capacity? Is that the way to go? Um, and at Good Shepherd in particular, we're very, very focused on creating affordable supportive housing for people. Recently, we opened our new Dorothy Day Place, which created 73 supported housing units for uh, women, transgender, non-binary people who have experienced chronic homelessness. Uh, An amazing several weeks as we saw folks move into that housing and settle into their homes, but it's not enough. Well, that's just uh, one brief example of the many amazing things that Good Shepherd and Good Shepherd Centers are uh, doing for people in this community. Catherine, thanks for sharing your time with us this morning. Thank you for inviting me. Catherine Kalinowski, the Chief uh, Chief Operating Officer with Good Shepherd Centers. Just a, a brief snippet of all the things that Good Shepherd does in this community. Quite amazing. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Not only is the encampments issue a big one, so too is renovations, which is playing a part in and impacting encampments in this community. And here's the latest example. Tenants of an apartment building on Melvin Avenue in Hamilton in the East End are having to move out or being forced out of the building 
and they'll have to leave by this Friday for what they say amounts to a renovation. Which begs the question, is the city any closer to approving a bylaw that would outlaw renovations? Tammy Huang is the counselor for Ward 4 with the city of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Tammy, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Before we get to the renovations issue, which way are you leaning on the encampment issue? Have you made a decision? I think that at the end of the day, encampments are here to stay. Um, It's one of those challenges because until we can actually build housing and affordable housing, specific housing that has wraparound services, this is an unfortunate circumstance, but it is something that we need to manage. But I will say that the city and the council of today is working very hard to ensure that we're streamlining the process, working with our nonprofit affordable housing providers, and really trying to get housing built as quickly as possible. To this renovation situation, which is only going to make the encampment situation, I would I would assume, extremely worse because we're talking dozens of tenants at this Melvin Avenue apartment building being forced out by Friday. What can you tell us is what's going on? Just when I think that I understand how the N13 or even the N12 process works, something like this kind of throws a wrench in it. Because um, to my understanding, I thought that they would have had at least 60 days notice before that they could have had that. Um, And I think that the idea that the landlord has already kind of gone through this with other buildings exactly on Melvin Avenue, you'd think that they would be more sympathetic and working with the tenants in order to find a solution that works for everyone. It is rather strange that, you know, all all the tenants are being forced out. And from what I understand is the landlord is going to rejuvenate the building. There are so many people impacted by this. Is there any sense, and I know you were at at a recent rally outside the building, is there any sense on where these people are going to go? Honestly, I'm not even sure because... As we all talk about, market rates for housing nowadays is upwards of eighteen dollars to $2,500 for a two-bedroom apartment. And as well, we have these apartments that are just crazy for what you're trying to pay for. So when it comes to where they're going to go, I honestly have no idea. The end of the day, what we're really working with is ensuring that tenants have a space that they feel warm and and safe. And we need to figure out how do we put more property standards in place? Because many of the renovations that we're hearing about are for what seems to be cosmetic type uh, renovations. So uh, these landlords are not gutting their buildings. They're not putting together brand new insulation and ripping out the roof and that sort of thing. So It seems very frivolous in terms of what they're doing. Uh, This is why we have asked our staff to come back with a renovations report that will come at the August general issue, uh, sorry, emergency and community services committee meeting that's coming up. And we are working on trying to figure out what a good renovations bylaw looks like, similar to what Westminster BC is doing or Rent Safe TO is doing. Uh, There are already great programs in place. So is the likelihood that we'll just copy what one of those other communities is already doing? If it's working there, it should work here, right? 
Absolutely. I think that there's going to be lots of different ways where we're going to have a sort of made in Hamilton type solution, but there is no harm in copying what other municipalities are already doing, especially if they've already proven what has worked. Do we have a timeline on when this bylaw might be brought to council? supposed to come together in August. We'll probably have it ratified by the end of um, August or early into the fall season. Uh, Depends on what we're seeing from the report. And we want to make sure that this is fair and equitable and it makes sense for everyone. We're looking forward to seeing that and certainly the impacts of it. Tammy, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you, Rick. Have a great day. You too. Tammy Huang is the councillor for Ward 4 with the City of Hamilton as we talk about renovations and the correlation they have with encampments in this community. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I think that at the end of the day, encampments are here to stay. Um, It's one of those challenges because until we can actually build housing and affordable housing, specific housing that has wraparound services, this is an unfortunate circumstance, but it is something that we need to manage. But... I will say that the city and the council of today is working very hard to ensure that we're streamlining the process, working with our nonprofit affordable housing providers, and really trying to get housing built as quickly as possible. Ward 4 Councillor Tammy Huang for the City of Hamilton joining us just moments ago on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML talking about encampments in this community. And we're opening up the phones and the text line, the email, the social media sites, everything uh, for you to connect with us and voice your opinion on encampments in this community. We, you can go pretty much anywhere in this city and see a, a few tents set up with people milling about, seeing people asking for money at intersections in this town, various intersections, both downtown and on the mountain. This is a situation that is sadly not going away anytime soon, if perhaps ever. It's the focus of our poll question as well. As Hamilton continues to work on its encampment protocol, which should come out next month, which option do you prefer? They're looking at a couple of options. Up to five tents at a site. So there's going to be numerous encampment sites in the community with up to five tents at a site. Option number two is many more tents at three to five sites in the community. So the city will establish, let's just say, five sites with, who knows, 10, 20 tents set up. We don't know the specific numbers as of yet. That'll be spelled out with the forthcoming protocol. The third option for you, and this is the most popular option, is no encampment sites. No sanctioned encampment sites. 85.5% of you right now voting for that option. 11% say more tents at three to five sites. And finally, some votes on up to five tents at a site, 3.6% to be exact. I'm on the no encampments site. Listen, I know the reality. I know that people are finding it extremely hard to find a place to live. So this is really their only option. To my mind, it's not a great option. It's not the option that we want to have in this community. So I'm saying no to encampments with the full realization that these people have nowhere else to go. Our shelter system is full. We had Catherine Kalinowski from Good Shepherd Centers on earlier today. They're over capacity. They have no room. And there's still hundreds of people living outside. Affordable housing, well, where's that? Nowhere. 
Hotel spaces are being soaked up. Homeless people are living with family or friends because they have nowhere to go. And it's not just a mental health and addictions issue. Think of this scenario. You're living in a home. Your mortgage is up for renewal. You have made payments on your mortgage that fit to your budget. Your mortgage is now coming up for renewal. It's now double the price. How do you afford that? Many people can't, and they're finding themselves in a tent. It is absolutely soul-crushing. And maybe it's an option that's not in our poll question scenario. But I'm in the no encampment sites because that's, uh, it might be utopia, but that's what I want to see. And it has nothing to do with the city looking bad. It has 100% to do with putting these people in a better place. Brenda on tw- on uh, the text line, 905-645-3221. Brenda says, good morning. Parks are for children and for people, not for people to live. Curious to know what the people living in the tents are going to do come wintertime. Well, Brenda, we've seen them huddled uh, uh, near City Hall, outdoors, on the street. And I'm sure they're going to be doing so again if there's nowhere else to go. Doug on the text line, 905-645-3221. I would like to know why all the people that are begging for money at every intersection all seem to be organized. They are on schedules. They show up with nice bicycles. Who's organizing these people? Who is helping them? Because they all seem to be whacked out on drugs. My big problem is why aren't these people looking for employment? There are jobs everywhere. Well, that's part of the equation we don't quite know. What are they doing when they're not at the intersection? And I will battle back with the, they all seem to be whacked out on drugs. I don't think that is the case. I've actually interacted with a couple of these individuals at these intersections to say, hey, what's going on? What's your scenario like? Many people have said, listen, they just can't find stable employment because they don't have a stable place to live. Another person on the text line, I say it's our societal obligation. We need to address this. We need to find shelters for families and people with pets. This is a crisis. Find a space with washroom facilities and encampments that are safe. And Shane says there should be no encampments. And once someone is offered a place, shelter or city housing, and they refuse, then the city should no longer be responsible and they can't live on the street. Have your say on our text line at 905-645-3221. Send me an email, rick at 900chml.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Improving transit service across the city is going to be the focus of a meeting in Hamilton on Thursday. That's when the Transit Area Rating Review Subcommittee is scheduled to meet and they're to discuss area rating in relation to transit. It was put in place 23 years ago as part of amalgamation. And basically rural and suburban areas that don't receive HSR service or bus service don't have to pay for that service through their property taxes. Now, yesterday on the show, we spoke with Ward 8 Councillor John Paul Danko, who told us that area rating for transit needs to change. Today, our city has grown. We have uh, much more development in those amalgamated uh, suburbs, and they really need transit service there. And unfortunately, as a city, we can't increase the service or or provide the service as needed without having uh, equal 
payment for transit across the city. Danko said that uh, the change should be done like yesterday. He wants it done immediately, but city staff is recommending that it take place over a number of years, a four-year period. Got a text earlier this morning from Doug in Waterdown who asks, why should we pay full rate for HSR when we have part-time service? Or my two daughters who live in Carlisle and Freelton who have no service pay anything. John Paul Danko is going to start a war he can't win. That's from Doug and Waterdown. Let's hear from Mike Spadafora, the counselor in Ward 14 here in Hamilton. Mike, welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? Rick, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what are your awesome. constituents relaying to you in regards to area rating for transit? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, it's become a hot topic as of yet. Obviously, you know, we have an upcoming meeting. Um, and as we, uh, you know, starts spreading some of that information um, and, you know, start looking at uh, the reports and stuff online, I think there might be some more discussion uh, right now, residents, uh, you know, I haven't had too many inquiries uh, about transit, but. I think we may have lost Mike on his cell phone. Mike, you still with us? Yeah. Can you hear me? Rick? Yeah, we can hear you now. Yeah, uh, uh, well. uh, no problem. I'm leaning towards, I'm leaning towards, you know, eliminating area rating for transit because I think the only way to expand our transit system and improve the transit system is to invest. And I, I think we have to call upon the people in those outer lying areas to invest in it, to eventually see it. Where are you leaning? Um, you know, and that's a great comment. I mean, I, I'm, I wouldn't be able to tell you 100% right now where I'm leaning, obviously, the meeting on Thursday. I'm not on the subcommittee. You know what? We're going to call Mike back on his phone as he's probably in a dead area. But we're talking about area rating here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. We had John Paul Danko on the show yesterday who said this needs to change and change immediately. And I'm okay with that. I'm also okay with a four-year transition period for the simple fact that let's not forget that the cost of living is where it is. Inflation, food prices, mortgage rates, interest rates going up, 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 up. Now we're asking people to pay into the system that they're not going to benefit from right away. Even though eventually the hope is, yeah, the, the, the HSR service will be expanded. We'll have to go above and beyond into the outer reaches of this city. Now for those who live, as Doug suggested from Waterdown, in Carlisle and Freelton, who knows, it might be years before HSR is an effective and viable option in that neck of the woods, so to speak. But it's it's never going to happen unless we start firing away on all cylinders when it comes to the finances of HSR. Mike Spadafore is back with us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Mike, you were just saying that you're, you're not sure where you're going with this. You need some more information, and you're, you're not hearing a lot from your constituents, but this certainly is a prickly pear. I, I would agree. It, it is a prickly pear, and... There's two parts to it for me. Yes, the transit and listening to you talk about needing to expand service as uh, as the the city continues to grow and like uh, Councillor Danko said with some of the development. But where where some of my hesitation is, you look at you know our property tax increase from from 2023. Um, you start looking at what next year's property tax could be. Um, I don't know if we have to also be be cognizant of, of affordability in our city. So 6.7% uh, for some residents last year or this past year and property tax, um, you know, we start expanding transit. If we start doing everything at once, 
Um, can we afford it? Lots has happened in the last couple of years, um, coming out of COVID, the inflation, um, all, all these these factors, I think, play a part. And I think one of the things we'll hear from residents is, can they afford to start adding, if, if property tax increase on what we're currently doing is going to be 7% next year, and you have to add some, some numbers to that to expand transit, can people afford to pay it? Um, so it, it's it's going to be it's going to be a difficult conversation because um, obviously you know making property taxes stay somewhat um, affordable is is a is a goal of mine um, and I think we have to as a council need to be aware of what our citizens can afford to pay. I just made the very same comments. Listen, we we need this to happen, but potentially not right away because we have so many other cost pressures that are hitting us from all sides. So I, I'm, I'm in favor of expansion and eliminating area rating for transit, but let's do it on a, uh, you know, a four-year plan or whatever, whatever that time frame is just to give some homeowners some, some breathing room. Uh, really quick before we go, just your thoughts on the encampment issue in this community. We're going to have a protocol before your eyes in about, well, a couple of weeks, um, sometime next month. What do you think should happen with encampments in this city? Well, again, I'm going to wait for the report from staff. So what I can say and what I've said previously um, when asked is, you know, I'm not going to support um, sanctioned encampments in public parks. Um, the residents have made my office uh, aware loud and clear that that is not something they want to see. Um, you know, public parks are, are for children and, and, and our community to enjoy. Uh, physical activity, walking, a meeting place for them to 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 um, have conversations with their neighbors, um, and it's just people do not feel safe, and people do not want um, want uh, encampments in the public parks. So that's that's going to be my stance on sanctioned sites uh, in public parks, and we'll wait to see what staff bring forward uh, in August in regards to a protocol. Fair enough, Mike. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining Thanks us. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rick. Mike Spadafora is the counselor for Ward 14 in the city of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, a few big name National Hockey League players remain free agents. And hockey fans, many of them, waiting to see if a big trade is going to be done this summer involving Norris Trophy winning defenseman Eric Carlson. Is he going to stay in San Jose or is he going elsewhere? Here to talk about it is Stephen Ellis, Associate Editor and Prospect Analyst with Daily Faceoff. Stephen, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. How are you doing, Rick? I'm good. There's been a bit of a lull with free agency. What's going on? Oh, it just, you know, everyone's at the uh, the cottage. Everyone's kind of hanging out. <laughs> it. it's, 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 it's fun because I get to kind of like just, you know, go back and do whatever I feel like, kind of watch other different forms of hockey. But, you know, it's it's kind of a slow time in the NHL. Uh, close to home here, the Toronto Maple Leafs are always uh, seemingly in the news, whether it's in season or off season. And uh, a bit of news in relation to the Leafs, and that was the arbitration case for Ilya Samsonov. It sounds like the Leafs have come out looking pretty good on this on this one. Yeah, you know, Samsonov was asking for close to $5 million. That was never going to happen. You know, just the one season that had its ups and downs, but the ups, I'd say, were, were pretty solid. So, uh, you know, I think both sides wanted him to be there, uh, and it made sense. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year when he becomes a free agent, if they bring him back, if Joseph Wool ends up becoming the number one. But uh, getting him there at $3.5 million, and then he got Wool at 766 it's just kind of figuring out what happens to Matt Murray now. But that's a, that's a pretty good uh, salary to work with for those two goalies. Do they just buy out Murray? Can they buy him out? Or is LTIR probably the option? 
they can buy him out later this week. Uh, there's a buyout uh, window opening up, and I would assume that is the case they're going to go with him. I'm surprised they couldn't even trade him for like a fifth or a sixth round pick at the the uh, at the draft, and maybe just get a bit of take some of his salary away. Um, but otherwise, you know, I, I do think that he won't be there. The thing about LTIR is while that would make sense, that'd be great. He actually has to be injured, but he is healthy at this mm. moment. Uh, the biggest uh, fish in the pond, so to speak, is out in San Jose with the Sharks, and that's Eric Carlson. Now, he's not a free agent, but there's a lot of talk that he wants out of San Jose, wants uh, to take a run at the Cup with uh, a contending team, and he has apparently spoken with a bunch of teams, including Toronto. What are the odds that he gets dealt this summer? Well, given the fact that they're still having issues with the salary cap and why Matt Murray's name is even involved, even if they get rid of Matt Murray's contract, they're going to have a hard time doing anything. And we do know if Eric Carlson's contract that the the Sharks are going to have to basically eat about half of it. They're going to have to keep at least $5 million um, for that to work out. But that still makes it pretty hard for the Leafs to do it. The team that he's been linked to, I'd say the most, is the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that's one where he's he's good friends with Jason Spezza, who they recently just hired him as the assistant GM. We know Kyle Dubas is interested in him. And if the Penguins are going to keep things going with Crosby and Malkin, they got to make a big splash. And I think getting Eric Carlson would make a lot of sense. Yeah, as great as Carlson is as a player and, well, as a person as well, he's not a good fit in Toronto, that's for sure. They have too many of those guys already. Uh, Here's another fantastic player, and that's Patrick Kane, who was in Chicago for many years, won three Stanley Cups there, uh, wrapped up last season with the Rangers. Does he stay in New York? Is there a potential return to Buffalo? What does your spidey sense tell you? Buffalo was the one that I think, you know, would make the most sense. Uh, We know that he won't start the season in the NHL, probably won't get back until maybe December or January. So I think it'll be kind of interesting. He'll he'll definitely go to a contender and he'll definitely be cheap. I'd expect a million or less. Just kind of like, hey, just prove you can still play at this point. The surgery is no joke. Uh, So they could go see what he's able to do. And Buffalo would be a good team where he would, I think, thrive. They could use another, you know, goal score. You could throw him on their second and third line and all of a sudden the team becomes significantly more dangerous dangerous for a playoff run. So Buffalo is the one I'm kind of almost hoping just because it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that'd be a great reunion as well. Stephen Ellis is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Stephen is associate editor and prospect analyst at Daily Faceoff as we look at NHL free agency and how there's been a bit of a lull, but some news might come in the next week or month or so. Jonathan Taves is another free agent who's, to my mind, either going to re-sign in Chicago or retire. Which one do you think he's leaning strongly towards? So we do know he won't be going back to Chicago. They made that when they kind of did their big event for him last year, that that was the end. In terms of where he would go, you know, a lot of people have been kind of saying, like, Edmonton would be a good one. Give him a a chance to play a contending team. I just don't know if he'd want to play again. This is a guy who's had to deal with a lot of health issues the last couple of years. You know, he's 35. He's made his money. He's he's, he's had a successful career. Does he need to move his family? Does he need to play again? I don't know if he wants to, but if he is, it's going to be a contending team, and that's why a, a team like Edmonton they could bring him in for cheap you got those those veteran guys you could throw maybe on your third line I think that'd be a, a nice fit there where they all go who knows but it's fun it will be fun to find out Stephen thanks for the time this morning yeah thanks so much Stephen Ellis associate editor and prospect analyst at Daily Face Off you're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML what's the most amount of money you've ever won I think for me the most I've ever won is like 20 bucks which is not which is not a lot, considering people down in the States are winning half a million. The most amount of money my wife has won on the lottery was $2,000, which is pretty doggone good. She plays with a bunch of coworkers at her work, 
and they ended up winning two grand. This is about, I don't know, a year, maybe two years ago. And I think the, the split was somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 $250 each, which again, that, that's not bad. That is not more than I've ever won, that is for sure. I have a story about my grandmother and her, her infamous or famous lottery story. And I'll tell you about in just a matter of minutes. But I do want to relay three extraordinary lottery-related stories in the U.S., all coming down within two days of each other earlier this month, July 19th and 20th. So there's this one guy in Iowa who played the Mega Millions lottery, and, well, he ended up winning. He won a million dollars. 70-year-old Michael Hoogie Hoogerwerf ended up winning the lottery. Now, the way this works is kind of strange. So he gets a call from Smokin' Joe's, the store in which he bought the lottery ticket back on June the 23rd. Smokin' Joe's is in Davenport, Iowa. And so the manager of Smokin' Joe's calls Hoogie and says, Hoogie, I think you may have won the lottery. Now, I'm not sure how it works in Iowa. They might have a sense of, hey, here's the winning ticket and and a phone number associated with it. So the manager ends up calling Hoogie, who's on a charity motorcycle ride at the time, and says, hey, Hoogie, I I think you may have won a million bucks here. Can we check your ticket? So she's rattling off the numbers. And, you know, meantime, he is pulled over off to the side on this charity motorcycle run. And he says, yeah, those are my numbers. I I guess I've won a million bucks. And then so the manager, according to Hoogie, nearly passes out. She was more excited than he was because the store also gets, you know, a bit of a prize when they sell the winning ticket. And so uh, Hoogie, you know, is obviously very happy that he's now an instant millionaire. And on his ride home, he says, quote, he did uh, release the handlebar to do a fist pump twice. So he's pumped. But there's another issue with this story because Hoogie Hoogerwerf, uh, by his own accord, is a bit of a prankster. And so he has been pulling tricks on his three daughters for years. So the the trust factor (laughs) is a little off between him and his daughters. And again, he's 70. So he's been pulling these pranks for years. So when he told his three daughters that he had won the lottery, they're like, yeah, whatever, Dad. You didn't win Jack. And the, well, he's, he's trying to convince, like, no, we've, we've actually won. So it goes as far as them attending the lottery headquarters to collect the prize. And then his daughter says, I believe him now, absolutely, or this is the best prank ever. Well, in fact, he did win a million bucks. Well, here's another story from North Carolina where a man, Omar Thayer of Greenville, received a scratch lottery ticket as a birthday present. You know what's coming. He ends up scratching this thing and wins $100,000. And it couldn't come at a better time because he said he was about to travel overseas for a family emergency. He's going to, he's going to use that money to obviously fund that trip and buy a new home. Can you imagine being the person who bought that lottery scratch ticket and then gave it to someone else as the birthday gift? I'd be kicking myself, to be honest. Lastly, a woman in Maryland who regularly plays a set of lottery numbers that came to her in a dream won $50,000. That's pretty cool. 77-year-old woman wins 50 grand. It's not the first time she's won the lottery playing these numbers that came to her in a dream. It's not even the second time she's won the lottery 
playing these numbers that came to her in a dream. It was the third time she has won $50,000. She did so back in 2019, then again in March, and then again just a month ago. How crazy is that? If you have a dream about lottery numbers, play them. That's the moral of that story. And lastly, the story of my grandmother, good old Nona. Years ago, there is a snowstorm and she just can't get out to play her lottery numbers. Oh, you know where this is going. As the story goes, no one could take her to play the lottery numbers or go and play the lottery numbers that she religiously plays week in and week out. And so lo and behold, the numbers come out and, well, she could have been a big winner. The jackpot in which she held the winning numbers for was $13 million. As the story goes, I think that was the figure. And so I could be in a very different place right now if she had actually gone and fought through that snowstorm and played the lottery. Oh, well, here I am. Here you are. Thanks for listening to Nona's story and those remarkable stories out of the United States. Playing the lottery. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.